So the messages spreadsheet uh, has the name or the theme of each sermon. And the theme for this one is inebriation with a question mark. And I don't know if that was um, that the question mark is supposed to be part of the sermon or is supposed to be part of the title or if Ted wasn't sure if that was should be the name of the sermon or the theme of the sermon. But anyway, when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, that encapsulates a lot of what we feel when we read this passage, like a sense that we're observing something that is really intriguing to us, but also makes us uncomfortable when we try to translate it into a modern context. Uh, And just as an aside, in fact, this week, there will be a blood moon on May 26th. So mark your calendars. Uh, you can see <laughs> prophecies of Peter being fulfilled and all that stuff. So um, so when we lived in Wales, we took uh, driving lessons to pass our driving exams. And our instructor was this really funny, friendly Welsh guy named Gareth. And he loved Disney. He loved to visit Disney. He loved Americans. He loved steaks. So we got along really well. And he would ask us tons of questions, and eventually he found out we were followers of Jesus. And one day he asked me what I thought about healings and speaking in tongues. And honestly, that was really not a question that I expected in secular post-Christian Europe. So I was kind of thrown, and this was also before I had learned to, you know, ask more questions and listen before I gave answers. So I just immediately jumped in and tried to answer as best as I could while I was also trying to, you know, shift gears and go around the roundabouts and not stop at stop signs because they don't have stop signs there. So there was a lot going on. Um, but I got it together enough to tell him that I believe that healing and speaking in tongues had happened in biblical times uh, as signs that confirm the authority of Jesus and the apostles, um, but that now we have modern medicine and translation and books and that God didn't interact in the same way in the world now. And I also said that I thought that healings were mostly psychosomatic and that symptoms would come back, but that God was, of course, active in our lives in other ways. And so then I kind of was like, why do you ask? And he said that some good friends of his went to a church uh, in our village where people spoke in tongues a lot and that his friend had been healed of this agonizing and ongoing back pain. And I just kind of tried to explain gently that I was really skeptical of things like that uh, because I wondered if people were preying on people's hopes and dreams and that, um, and trying to like use God as a, a magic, you know, power in the sky that heals and all that stuff. And he nodded and we were kind of like, yeah, okay. And he seemed to get it. And it sort of didn't matter because he didn't believe in anything that had happened to his friend anyway. And he didn't believe anything that I said. So I was like, all right. And I felt like I'd done a pretty good job. And I imagine now that God was up in heaven having a good laugh and patting me on the head and being like, oh, you just wait. (laughs) So what I said to Gareth at the time was really what I believed. Um, I believe God worked in our lives, but in invisible ways and that he spoke to us, but in our hearts and sometimes in dreams. And I'd experienced all that. Uh, I would read this story about Peter and the tongues of fire. And I believed it was significant, but if I had to give it a title or try to fit it in my life today, 
I would have called it inebriation, question mark. So what have your experiences been with mm, the spirit, with uh, healings, with speaking in tongues, with what we just talked about? Put your name in the chat. Mm, John. Uh, by the grace of God, I uh, was uh, God <clears throat> opened the door for me to go to drug rehab in '75. It's a charismatic church, and so uh, Christianity was speaking in tongues. They were all the same. I've never been in, I've never been a Christian before that. And uh, there for 18 months, I came out, went to Assembly of God Church where I was born again. I was there for about a year, a year and a half, and then I went to. I was a member of Lakewood Church. <clears throat> John Osteen, the, the father Joel Osteen was there. And John Osteen loved missions. So he come from a mission background. So we had missionaries coming in from all over the world there. And they testified of amazing miracles and healings all the time. The people prayed there for healings. I was healed. I was there for about two years. I experienced multiple healings in my body just from prayer. Uh, I have many, many times since then. And uh, in terms of the uh, speaking in tongues bit and hearing different languages, again, people that are out, we're talking people that are in India and rural areas of Africa where they got voodoo and they've got witch doctors and they've got all kinds of crazy phenomena. And so God shows up powerfully and there are real legitimate healings and not often, not always, but rarely there are uh, uh, certified, verified uh, uh, times where people speak uh, of a language that's not theirs that somebody else hears and understands and i heard many many times of that it's not often it's rare I mean, just it's real and it's rare and unless lots and lots of people lied then uh it's a fact but again it's not it doesn't happen in every suburban church every sunday that's cuckoo um it happens and uh and and, and again i say I say my favorite book is Streams of Living Water, which talks about charismatic is a legitimate stream, as is evangelical, as is incarnational, as is justice, as is, you know, there's many streams of God. And and when you're in one stream, you think the other streams are wrong, and they think each other's wrong. And I've been in five five of the six of them. So uh, it's, Christianity is a weird world. It's a weird mixed up world. And everybody thinks they're right, and the other guys are wrong. And, and the devil's in that. Mm-hmm. The devil's in hating on other Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, John. Charles. So my Charlesing up today is just kind of leaning over. Um, I grew up in the Churches of Christ. I don't know if anybody in this group knows who that group it is, but uh, um, how to describe the experience of the Holy Spirit in Churches of Christ? I think one way the Holy I- Spirit is fully revealed in the text of the Scriptures. 
Okay, my first response, yeah, was my first response was going to be your average Church of Christ person would say, "What is the Holy Spirit?" Uh, and then the second would say, "Our Holy Trinity in the Holy in the Church of Christ is the Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures." Uh, because, like as Ted's saying, uh, yeah, access to the Spirit is through the the Bible, the text passages. Yeah, um, very. Um, very similar view to what you described, Sarah, like, a the technical, the cessationist, you know, that it, that it ceased, that this is stuff that happened back then and it stopped happening and the Holy Spirit no longer, uh, works in those ways. So uh, that's what I grew up in. I, I, I subscribe to a more enchanted view of the world now than I did then, but I'll say I'm, I'm open and confused about it. Like I, it's, uh, Jesus's words. Is it Jesus? Yeah. That they, they feel appropriate when he talks about how the spirit is like the wind and you don't know where it's coming and you don't know where it's going. I feel that way about the Holy spirit and the miraculous. Like you can't, you can't control it or orchestrate it. I feel like it does happen. Uh, I've heard too many stories to believe that it doesn't, but it also doesn't happen at times when I really wish it would. Uh, so that's my limited experience. Thank you, Charles. I almost was going to say cessationist theology, but then I was like, oh, big words. <laughs> but but you've, you've brought it in there for us. We covered that base. Uh <laughs> uh yeah, I would have considered myself a good cessationist a long time ago. Um Daryl, Daryl, Daryl. Okay, you can hear me now. Um yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> I I will send you that message. It it was jolly good, okay? So I'll I'll send that later. Um <laughs> uh, I um my first experience, and of course, Charles and I come from the same background, except, you know, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will see the gift of the King James Version, uh, was kind of how we looked at it. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> okay, that's really, that's really blasphemous, alright, I just, it's just, oh, uh, but that's really what a lot of folks believed, and it was the cessation, uh, view. Uh, but there, you know, there's wide varieties of that. There are others that, of course, thought that was silly. Um, but, uh, my first experience with it, not personal in that I experienced any, you know, healings or speaking, uh, in languages I did not know personally. Um, but I went to a tent meeting a very large tent meeting in Little Rock, Arkansas. As a youth minister, me and another guy, we knew what was going on, so let's see what it's like. Um, and I, I think there, there's always the, the challenge with some, some folks really like um, the exhibition of it, you know. And in this case, I think this, this probably was more of that and, and less of authentic uh, and I, I don't mean to judge that, um, but when I see people 
this woman is preaching. She says to this guy, would you run around the tent for me? And he starts running around the tent. And then she says to someone else, run around the tent. And another guy runs out. Then someone just jumps up in the middle of the audience and starts running around the tent. from the Spirit. He did it without me asking. Yeah, that, that always just kind of bothered me. Um, and I experienced people speaking in tongues at that. Um, and an interpreter who quoted the King James Version throughout the entire time uh, it was interpreting uh, actual scripture in the King James Version, uh, which leads me to almost say, okay, well, maybe it is the King James Bible. Never mind. Um, but I'm with Charles. Just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And I, I think we may not experience it. I think one of our founders was Barton W. Stone. And I think Martin W. Stone would have said, uh, and I think he did say, that you see a lot of misuse of that. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And probably because we, I think C.S. Lewis would have said this too, is that is that we live in this industrialized uh, postmodern society that doesn't have need, it seems. They think they don't have need for the spirit or they don't understand it. So when they see other things that might be, they assume it's something else. But if you go into other cultures that are pre-modern and there's demon possession and there's things that are inexplicable, the spirit seems to be more obvious in those situations because, because he's more effective in those positions, I guess, because it, it witnesses better in those position, in those areas, because people are actually open to hearing him and open to seeing his work. Uh, so I, I, that's kind of my limited view on it. Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to get a little, <laughs> uh, usually I would prefer to like talk about things more in stories. But I want to get a little bit brainy with y'all. But the reason I want to get brainy with you is because um, there are, I think that there are some structures behind these things that can help us feel less confused and understand a little more why things happen in some contexts and not others. And that can give us confidence and that can give us like this freedom to actually um believe in the spirit and experience the spirit and kind of let ourselves go. And so uh, the point of this is not braininess, but the point of it is freedom. So we're going to talk through this together. Uh, there's this guy named Paul Hebert, and he was a missiologist who developed um, multiple theories uh, that contribute to our understanding of missions, including like critical contextualization, um, bounded versus centered set community, uh, he was uh, partially a mathematician by training. He was also a missionary. And so sets and bounded sets and centered sets are a mathematical concept, and he applied it to community. And we, we use that in storyline. And he also talked about something called the excluded middle. So when he was a missionary in India, he developed a matrix that helped uh, to explain the disconnect between Western Christianity and traditional religions. And I think Charles has that for me, if he could bring it up on the. Uh, 
Okay, so on the one side, you have this, um, uh, what's the word for like a, a continuum? <laughs> you have this continuum um, between things that are seen and unseen. So we start at the bottom. Uh, we've got things that we can see, that we can directly experience, that we can empirically observe. Um, and then at the very top, we have things that are unseen or transcendent, things that are deal with ultimate questions like what is the origin of the universe? What is the purpose of humanity? And that kind of thing. Uh, and then along the top, you have organic and mechanical. So organic would be anything that has a personal element to it, um, where there's uh, some element of unpredictability or personality. And then under mechanical, mechanical basically just means anything where there's a reproducible process that given one input always produces the same output. Um so the boxes on this that we are very comfortable with in Western culture are the whole bottom row. We're okay with that whole bottom row. So for organic, we have things like relationships, like what we believe and understand about raising a child or dealing with a relative or how to succeed in a job. Um, or when we talk about a civilization that like is born and dies, or when we talk about churches being born and dying, those are kind of organic ways of understanding things that we can see. And then under mechanical things that we see, uh, that all kind of has to do with the natural world. So uh, how do crops grow? How do you use fire to cook food? Um, Folk science and Western science, although to us they seem very different, are actually much the same. They are uh, mechanical, repeatable ways of understanding the things that we see and the things that we observe. Um, like gravity uh, would be one of the one of the things that would fit into that that box. And then we're also okay with this very top box where we have unseen and organic. That is actually where our God fits in. Our God is a personal cosmic force. So, um, it's, he's not a black box or a machine that we, you know, put in some inputs, put in some prayers and then get back the same results all the time. He has personality. She has personality. There are multiple facets, um, to God. And so most of us live in those three boxes as Western Christians. We like those bottom two boxes and we like the very top one with the organic and the unseen. Um, if we start to like question our faith or we get disillusioned with the fact that God is so personal and so unpredictable and we could even start to see him as being capricious, um, we might start to drift towards the mechanical and unseen forces like kismet or fate or karma. So these would be things that um, they have no personality behind them. They're just a system that if you do good things, good things will happen to you, right? Like there is no inherent good or evil in the system. There's just good or evil in what you put into the system. Um, but we, if you look in the middle row, I would challenge you to look in the middle row and see if there's anything there that you feel good about. Like, just take a second. Is there anything there that you're like, yeah, that's, 
that seems legit. I'm guessing that there is not. Um, so can you go to the next slide for me, Charles? So some of the questions, the middle is basically the intersection between the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see. And some of the questions that are raised in the middle are like, how do you make a marriage work and thrive? So like, not just um, how do you get married, but like, how do you thrive in a marriage? Um, how do you guarantee success? in your business or in your personal life? Uh, why do accidents happen? Uh, why do things happen that we can't explain? Uh, how do we deal with unforeseeable events? Um, what is luck? Why do some people experience disease, famine, and misfortune, and others don't? And then also right there in the middle are questions about our immediate past, present, and future. So maybe my present, my past, um, the past of my parents, uh, the future of my children, uh, which is different from that top tier level. The top tier level is like, what's the ultimate cosmic purpose of humanity? Well, that middle tier is what about this like span of a hundred years or three, 200 years that's right around me. Um, <clears throat> and in uh, like, we, we get really uncomfortable with the middle and we don't know how to answer these questions. And one of the reasons, and Charles, you can take that off the screen now if you'd like. Yay. So one of the reasons is because we subscribe to this body, like body spirit dualism, right? That um, body and spirit are completely separated. That spirit is way up here and body is down here. And anytime they mix, uh, one is polluted by the other. Um, and Paul Hebert says that the result, like when that happened, the result was the secularization of science and the mystification of religion. So religion is now the realm of mystery, uh, of just unexplainable things. Uh, science was based on the certitude of sense experience, experimentation, and proof. And religion was just left with faith in visions and dreams and inner feelings. Um, religion was brought in to deal with miracles and exceptions to the natural order. Um, but that list of the things that we couldn't explain got smaller and smaller the more we learned about science. So religion just increasingly has a, a tinier piece of the pie. Um, so some examples uh, of ways that we ignore that middle tier, we, all of those questions of the middle tier, we might just say, well, that's just chance. Well, who knows what the answer to that is? Well, uh, I really don't know. Um, like, we might totally ignore those questions and think they don't have any value. Uh, we also might do something like, there was a story that a missionary told about how uh, someone came to him saying, will you pray for me? I have a headache. And the missionary said, oh, I don't need to pray for you. I have medicine. Uh, and so he just gave him the medicine. Um, sometimes we can ignore the middle by thinking that the answer to like systemic racism has to be either policies or spiritual change and not both. 
Um, maybe sometimes when we're uncomfortable giving money to people who need it, uh, because we think we should pray for them instead, or if we're uncomfortable only praying and not helping in practical ways. Uh, we often, that's a, an example again of the body spirit divide. We think that somehow there is, there's gotta be a, a big gap between those two. And when they start to merge together, we get really uncomfortable. Um, so we might also have had experiences of the middle tier, um, but we know that there are certain places we can't share them. Like uh, we know that we shouldn't be talking about our experiences of the Holy Spirit in a church where everyone's conservative and doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, we kind of, we know maybe to keep it under wraps sometimes, right? Like, yes, I experienced healing, but I know there are certain places that I shouldn't share that because other people don't think that that's valid at all. Um, so because we ignore the middle tier, Christianity, specifically Western Christianity, often has no answers to the questions that, that are posed by the middle tier. And we often have nothing to say about the things that happen in the middle tier, except I don't know, but somehow it happens. Um, so like, why does one person get better, but not another person? Why does God allow evil? Uh, why does God allow racism or nas- nationalism or misogyny? Um, we tend toward answers like the arc of the universe bends toward justice, right? Like, I don't exactly know, but somehow it's all going to be right. And that's a toss to the upper tier. That's saying, no, I'm not going to stay in this middle tier. I'm going to toss that up to the upper tier. Or everything happens for a reason. Uh, there's some, like, cosmic equation. Um, or we just can't understand and we have to accept the mystery. And usually those answers are not satisfactory either to us or to our friends who don't follow Jesus. Like, we get comfortable saying them, but underneath there's this, like, oh, we're not really satisfied with those answers. But even if we ignore the middle tier, it still exists. Uh, In Dear Church, which is a book by Lenny Duncan, who's a queer black Lutheran pastor. Lenny writes, we have lost the ability to name evil for what it is. We don't believe that demons are real. Ask any person of color or LGBTQIA person in this church, and they will tell you that evil is real and stalks their neighborhood or their call committee, that it has followed them around a store while they were shopping. It shamed them in high school for being who they were, their authentic selves. It posts on blogs claiming to expose them and on social media saying that they don't want them in our neighborhood. Evil is a system that infects us even at our holiest moments. So if we are to have a hope of resisting these systems, of answering those questions, of experiencing true healing in our lives and our communities, we have to be able to see both the good and the evil that exist in that middle tier, in the space that exists between the seen and the unseen. And for us as followers of Jesus, one of the main good things in the middle tier is the Holy Spirit. Jesus left us the Spirit as a helper, as um, something that existed on earth but was unseen Partially because we're not superheroes, 
and so we do need supernatural help and partially because we need that connection to the middle tier. We need something to bridge the gap between us and God, between the things that we can see and between the things that are unseen. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit to help us where logic and science fail us. So evil exists in the middle tier, and we know that, and we're beginning to recognize it. And to fight it, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So all of that brings me back to my driving instructor in Wales. So near to the end of our lessons, we ended up asking him if he would help us record some Bible stories. And he said that he couldn't, but that he knew a couple who could help us. And uh, he set up a meeting with them and we met them on the high street of our village. And that was so many years ago. And I can still, like, I still have a picture in my mind of what they look like coming down the hill toward us because they just looked like they were glowing like there was a light, like a, a halo of light around them. It was really amazing. And they told us about how they'd come to follow Jesus by going to a random church meeting that they'd been invited to, um, where that guy, Reuben, had been healed of agonizing and ongoing back pain. And as they shared their stories with us and their lives in just this little tea shop, this little dark corner of a tea shop, you could just see that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, like their faces and their words and their joy was just palpable. Um, afterward, we talked to our driving instructor and I asked him if those are the people he'd told me about so long ago. And he said, yes, that they were and that he'd been afraid to tell me who they were uh, for fear that I wouldn't want their help. But he knew that we needed their help. And so he he just went ahead and did that. And it was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. Uh, not only to see how the spirit had been at work in Reuben and Allison's life, the couple's life, and when I had discounted it, but to see how God and how the spirit had been at work in my life when I didn't know that I needed someone to introduce me to these people, when I had said, no, I don't think that, you know, that's all a bunch of ridiculousness. God was still working behind the scenes. The spirit was working behind the scenes in that area between what I could see and what I could not see. And so that moment and other moments later helped me learn to take the middle tears seriously and honestly, sometimes when we take the middle tier seriously and we give ourselves fully to the idea that the spirit is real and the spirit is working, we end up looking stupid. Uh, we can end up looking stupid to outsiders, uh, maybe even a little bit like we're drunk at 9 a.m. So um, what, what are ways that we can take the middle tier seriously? So for me, that looks like... Um, thanking God for my medication, for healthcare providers, for spiritual moments I had that pointed me towards physical medical help. Um, it looks like praying when I'm on my protest marches, taking that specific opportunity to be on the site of, say, Dallas police headquarters or to be outside of a jail and to pray um, for the spirit to move in those spaces. 
Um, it also means, you know, voting and, and, um, actually participating and giving money, but it means not only voting and not only giving money, but also praying with real trust and expectation. And it means praying prayers for healing in my relationships and going to counseling. Uh, and it means sitting with the things that I don't understand and trusting that God has sent the spirit to bridge that gap between what I can see and what I can't. So what are other ways that you guys can think of that we can take the middle tier seriously as Christians? To merge the seen and the unseen, if you will. Name in the chat. Hey, Miles. Uh, wait. Hey, John. John. I'm sorry. Wait. There's so much happening. Wait. Uh, I think John was first and Stephanie has to go. Bye, Stephanie. We love you. John. Yeah. So what I like a lot about 12-step recovery work is it is a middle ground in a lot of ways. Uh, You have to take action and you have to turn your will and your life over the care of God. You understand God. And, and you continue through prayer and meditation to uh, increase your conscious contact with God, asking only for knowledge of his will for you and power to carry it out. And that's while you're also, also taking action in your area. I mean, there's people that have tried for years and years and years to overcome their addiction to drugs, to alcohol, to work, to overeating, you know, and, and they've been counseling and, and, and they cannot get through it. That's why they come to the meetings. And, 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 and this is, this is a spiritual, not religious thing. I'm dealing right now with a man, this Orthodox Jew and, and very prayerful man, but he, his prayers are all about religion and Sabbath and over there, but he's bringing his prayers into his right now today situation. I'm dealing with a man and he, I deal with a man in Sweden who, who, who grew up in a Lutheran family, somewhat kind of religious, yuck, yuck. And now he's, he's over in pagan religion. But he needs to really pray to his higher power to get him untangled from his life. I do another person that believes that all science, no God, no religion, but needs to have a higher power to untangle. Yeah, if they could do it themselves, they wouldn't come to these rooms. They wouldn't keep coming back to these rooms if, if they could do that. And, and the fourth, these are four people that I sponsor. The fourth man is solid Christian Baptist. My golly, Molly Wally. I mean, he's straight up uh, biblical. So all four of those that I know really, really, really well, plus a lot, a lot of people I know a little bit of, you've got to do, it's, it's, it's not just a prayer meeting, but you also need to take action steps. It's a both and, and, uh, and people get stuck because they do a whole bunch of one or not the other. They're afraid of this or they get lazy, you know, so, and, 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 and yeah, it's, it, 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 it is in the, in the terms of, of theologians is progressive uh, personal sanctification. That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We are saved, but we're not. But we're not completely without sin. We need to address our issues, and that gets back to what I'm doing now. I'm taking a deep dive into journaling heavily about my fears, my resentments, and it's a it's a dirty, nasty business, but it's very liberating mm-hmm. when I do it. It's not if I do it all in prayer. I, I certainly would, mm-hmm. but to look back at all the yuck yuck in my childhood. You know, and also the culture has told me about what it means to be a man, you know, 
uh, it's uh, <clears throat> I got to do both. Mm-hmm. I would love to do either, but I got to do both. Yeah. 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 Miles. Yeah. So as we were talking today, I mean, thinking about this middle and our discomfort with that, um, which definitely, you know, uh, resonates with me. I was thinking about how so often this comes back to our, um, our, our dualistic mentality. You know, we want one camp or the other camp to be right or to be wrong. Um, and it, it makes me think of my dad sometimes because I watched and grew up with my dad wrestle with this. Um, for those of you that, that don't know, my dad's a, a physician. Um, and so as a kid, you know, I, we, we would get those calls, you know, on weekends and nights and some that won't, someone that was hurt would, you know, come to our house. Um, and I've watched my dad heal them, uh, with the power of science. Um, I remember, you know, being a young kid and, and my friend fell and had nursemaid's elbow and he came and he was crying and he was in pain. And, and if you've ever experienced nursemaid's elbow, it's a pretty satisfying thing because it's kind of easy to fix. And my dad would always distract them and then just pop and then it would go and they would be miraculously better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have seen healing from the power of science, um, happen. And so then I think it's really easy. And, and, and my dad has shared in his own spiritual walk how, how um, going through medical school or something of that discipline um, teaches you, you know, empirical science and you start and you eliminate causes and then you eliminate more. And then that's how we, a good uh, clinician who is, who is, who is takes their, their diagnostic approach seriously has to follow that approach um, in medicine. Mm-hmm. And so if we believe in that and we see the power of that, well, then it's easy for this on the other side to feel hokey. Yep. Um, and then, and then I've seen, uh, so, so we can be in that camp. And then I've seen the other camp where we say, um, you know, like this, the couple in the story that you shared where they were healed, um, to say that we don't need medicine. Um, and certainly I've experienced people who probably to their own detriment, um, ignored, uh, God's ability to heal through science and medicine. Um, because they were searching over here. And so we want to flip a switch and we want to be on one side or the other. And the story that, you know, that you shared and what I think it perhaps means to dwell in the middle is to have that both and mentality rather than that either or. And that's such a tough place for us to exist. I think, especially in a postmodern society where we want evidence, we want proof, we want results. We want a repeatable process and that feels so much more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just really made me appreciate um, the spiritual walk of holding things in tension of yeah. saying both and of exploring both of those. And in mental health, I think it's, it's so, you know, in our family's own journey with mental health, it was medicine and it was talk therapy. Uh, and, and I will confess sometimes talk therapy feels a little like, Frou-frou to me, um, you know, when I, in my skeptical times, um, but I'm here to keep him in check, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I can, I cannot deny that that is an incredibly important part of the process and, 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 but it doesn't work without medicine. Uh, and that's the tension that we hold because the medicine puts us in a place where the talk therapy works and without (laughs) talk therapy, the medicine doesn't reach its fullest potential. And that is a really hard both and uh, to exist in. And so I think that that for me is a spiritual discipline of finding that tension. 
Yeah, it is 100%. Um, I, I, I have lots of things I could say. We can't keep talking. Okay, uh, Daryl, Daryl, I want to hear what y'all have to say. <laughs> yeah, it's actually uh, Terry as well on this one because she's the one that mentioned it as I was thinking it. So it's the idea of paying attention and responding. Um, yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Miles, about what you said. It's, uh, uh, it's you know, it's either or. That's what we feel sometimes. But um, I think that we have to, even though, and I grew up in Church of Christ too, even though it wasn't presented to us, we still have to be open to the idea that the Spirit does work in our life. Um, you know, I, I've seen it happen in my, in my own life um, a few times. And at times that, you know, I was like, did that just really happen? Or uh, I think if Daryl hadn't been around one time, I would have questioned if, if an incident actually happened or not, or if I made it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, so, yes, yeah, so I think we also have to be very open uh, to the spirit working and then respond to the spirit when he does. Yeah. And, and for me is to piggyback on that. That's exactly, um, part of, part of how do we, how do we respond? Or you, your, your question, your original question, uh, is, is we have to be willing to admit that he may, he may tell us something. He may be, you know, maybe not in so many words or anything like, but he may prompt us. And the question is, am I going to say, yeah, it probably was, nah, nah, I'm not going to, you know, are we going to take the risk and say, okay, this may be from the spirit. So I'm going to take the risk and actually do what I'm being prompted to do. I've done that a few times. Sometimes it, it probably wasn't the spirit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At least from some reactions I've gotten before. Uh, but again, that still may have been, you know, uh, he doesn't control people in how they react, does he? Uh, so I think it's, it's the acknowledgement that yes, he is active. I may not know how he's active, but when I have something that seems totally out of myself, that says do something that's totally out of myself in my comfort zone, maybe just maybe that is the spirit working and I need to pay attention. I need to be willing to step out uh, and take the risk. Yeah. Well, and I also think sometimes when we don't, I, I'm going to share a personal experience with y'all um, and I have regretted it ever since. And I don't know if the, if the spirit has placed it on my heart so that if it ever happens again, that I'm going to respond but it was when I got my first or second COVID shot and it was, it was the first one, I think. And it was very, very ugly that day. The and second one. The second one. And I had to drive to Fort Worth. Daryl was out of town. We had a rental car and the weather was horrible. And I, if, if I had not needed to get it, I, the second one, I probably would have just said, I'm not going, but I went and it was very, very, very cold that day. And I went in and, um, it was JPS in Fort Worth. And so there, there I gather, I, I don't know much about that area, but I gather it's a lot of homeless people there. And I got my shot. And when I come, came downstairs, there's, there was a revolving door 
and there was a lady there that looked like she kind of worked there. And then there was another lady there. And she looked, the other lady looked at me and said, that is a really pretty coat that you have on. And I said, thank you. And then something said to me, you need to give her your coat. And I was like, give her my coat like that. And I was like, it's really cold outside. (laughs) This is my brain going like, well, it's really cold outside. And I kept walking and I was like, was I supposed to give, do I need to go back and give her my coat? (laughs) You know? And to this day, I regret not walk, not just say, here, you can have my coat. I think she was a homeless person. Um, she, I think she had came into the hospital for a few minutes to get out of the cold. And to me, I could have bought another coat. Um, and so to this day, it was a very, va- a very valid, I mean, slapped me in the face. It was like, if I ever hear something like that again, I don't care what it is, I'm going to respond because I have regretted it ever since. And I honestly believe in all of my heart that was the spirit speaking to me saying, this lady is cold, you need to give her your coat. And to me, I see it kind of disobedient. I feel like now at the time I was like, did I hear that or should I give her my coat? And then it was like I started walking. I was like, am I supposed to give her? And so I didn't live. I just went on because I, I was trying to rationalize and saying it's freezing outside. Now I'm going to be cold. And but anyway, so with that being said, I say that just to say, I feel like if we feel prompted to do something Whether or not sometimes it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing, we just do it. Yeah. Yep. I love that, Terry. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Charles? This is just a really quick piggyback, Daryl's piggyback on Terry's original idea. And to connect dots for me about this excluded middle, we're learning from Neighborhood Seminary and our mentor, uh, Elaine Heath, about this contemplative posture. Um, and I think I've talked about this in previous messages, the fourfold um, showing up to our neighbors and our relationships, paying attention, uh, participating or cooperating with God and releasing the outcomes. That fourfold contemplative posture, it's dawning on me. That's a posture for the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, that posture lives in this middle space that you're describing uh, this morning. That is all. Yep. It's awesome. Val, were you Charlesing up? All I was going to say was, and you got to release those outcomes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, I want to make, I want to make a couple of comments. Uh, if you do not release the outcome, then you are treating the Holy Spirit like a mechanical process that fits in the same category as magic. If I just say the right things, if I just do the right things, then this thing will happen. And that does not, that does not work. We know that it's not the right way to look at that. So yes, releasing the outcomes. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to say was that in Hebert's article, like he talks about how, um, some of the most successful Christian mission efforts are ones that try to answer the questions of the middle that acknowledge the existence of the middle that don't just say, Nope, that's not there. 
Uh, and so I think that um, if we want to reach our neighbors and even if we want to reach ourselves, it's so important to try to connect body and spirit to try to like experience that merge in the middle. Um, and like I said, this was brainy, um, but I wanted to share it with you because of things like what Terry said. Sometimes we can sense the promptings of the spirit and we're like, no, I don't know about that. And we don't want to share it. We don't want to do anything about it because we're afraid we'll look stupid. We don't want to share it with other people because we're afraid we'll sound stupid. And I want us to have the freedom, especially within our church, to do things and to hear things that sound stupid. Um, I want us to be able to like, you know, go along that road with each other instead of being like, oh, I don't know about that, you know. So I want it to be a, a safe place for the spirit and for each other as we try to answer those questions of the middle. So um, that's all. Thank you guys so much for for talking with me. Um, I am going to get the old liturgy guide here. It's time for mission prayers. Actually, before mission prayers, can I just pray for us? Maybe I'll just pray for us. Um. Dear God, we thank you for the day of Pentecost, for the day that we got to see this incredible story of the Holy Spirit coming and working and um, forever demonstrating that you are a God that cares about those questions of the middle, that you are a God that will show up, um, that will like do powerful things. And God, I pray that as we follow you in relationship, we would lean more and more into that power, into the fullness of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.